This morning we are finishing up our series called Accidentally. Accidentally, well, sometimes on purpose, but, but mostly accidentally, and it has just been awesome to, to, to share this as a preaching team, and I've just appreciated so much the, uh, the transparency and the vulnerability of, uh, of our staff, uh, pastors, as, they, as they've preached with me through this series, and uh, I want to share a story this morning that I've, I've never shared publicly. Uh, when I was in high school, our family moved to a new community where my dad became the pastor of a small Pentecostal church. Uh, it was a great move for our family. It was a vibrant little church. Uh, there was an awesome youth group uh, in that church. Uh, there were cute girls in the youth group. Um, one of them particularly got my attention. Uh, I eventually married her, but uh, that's actually part of a different story. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about our new church was that there were a number of guys in that church that were a little bit older, a little bit further along in the journey than I was that uh, really took an interest in me and spoke into my life in, in just wonderful ways. And as a 16, 17-year-old kid, uh, to have um, some guys, and you know, frankly, these guys seemed a lot older than me. Reality was they were probably in their mid-20s, uh, oldest early 30s. I mean, it was a very young, young church, young congregation. Uh, but all of them were married. Most of them had, had children by that point. Uh, but they befriended me. And they began to speak into my life and affirm the giftings and the callings uh, to ministry that I, I sensed God had placed there. And they encouraged me to pursue ministry and to go to Bible college. And so when I, I graduated from high school, that's what I did. I, I enrolled in Northwest Bible College, which is now Vanguard, and, and pursued uh, four years of ministry training there. Aileen and I were, were married during that time. And when I graduated from, from college, I was excited when this same church uh, asked me, invited me to come back and serve as the assistant pastor, kind of assistant pastor slash youth pastor slash worship pastor, just kind of the, the slash janitor, uh, help out uh, around the church kind of guy. And um, Aileen's family was still in town. Uh, my parents were still there. My dad was still a pastor of the church. I'd interned there for several summers and really felt it was a good fit. Um, the pay was terrible. I, I mean, this, this, was, this was a part-time gig. And when I say part-time, I mean really part-time. This, this was, this was part-time, but uh, Aileen and I prayed about it. We felt that this was what God was calling us to do, so we moved back to our hometown. Uh, Aileen got a job nursing at the hospital. Uh, I got a job at one of the grocery stores in town, and we just began pouring our heart and soul into that little church, into the youth, into the worship ministry. And I had these uh, older guys who were really not that old. Uh, they're cheering me on. I'll flash forward two years. My dad had come to the point of uh, wanting to retire, so he resigned as senior pastor. And surprisingly, the church asked Aileen and I if we would consider stepping into the lead pastor role. Now, I was only 24 years old at the time. And so I, I knew I was, I was young. Uh, in spite of growing up in a, in a pastor's home and thinking I had ministry kind of figured out, realized when you actually get into the job that I didn't know as much as I, I thought I did probably when I started. Uh, so I, I knew I was young, but we prayed hard. Uh, we felt God spoke to us. And so we would let our name stand. And uh, the church called a meeting to vote on that. Uh, the meeting did not go well. In fact, there were just enough votes uh, to ask me to become the pastor. But the church was divided. And walking out of that business meeting, 
about six or eight families said that if the church invited me to become the pastor, they weren't coming back. And not only was that about a third of the congregation, but this group included most of the guys that had been so influential into speaking into my life and encouraging me to pursue ministry, encouraging me to become a pastor. Uh, you know, it's kind of ironic. They, they thought I should be a pastor. They just didn't want me to be their pastor. <laughs> and looking back now, you know, I, 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 I get it. I was young. I was inexperienced. I was, not that I was immature for my age, but I was only 24, you know, so I was relatively immature. But their rejection really hurts. And it really hurt that little church. It hurt that church's ministry because these people were key people involved in ministry. It hurt the church's finances. And it actually set us up for, for years of just challenging hard work and struggle. But Aileen and I stayed on. So about a year later, I, I ran into one of these guys that had left uh, at an event, and I plucked up the courage to go sit down beside him and, and start a conversation, and I actually asked him, so exactly why did you leave our church? And I'll never forget what he said. He, he crossed his arms, and he, he didn't look at me, he just kind of looked uh, straight ahead, and he said, because you're a failure in ministry, and everything you've done has failed, and you'll never succeed in anything. And I remember sitting there just kind of gobsmacked, uh, thinking, wow, tell me what you really think, you know? Um, and I, I knew kind of deep down that what he said wasn't really true. I, I knew he was speaking out of the hurt, uh, out of, in his own heart, and, and hurting people hurt people, uh, but it still stung. Especially because this was a guy who'd been cheering me on. This was a guy who had affirmed God's call on my life, had encouraged me to go to Bible college, pursue ministry. And not only that, but his family was a family that if they had chosen to stay in the church and chosen to, to, to continue to serve and, and support and give and, and love would have really helped our little church thrive and, and grow and pursue the mission that God had called us to in that community. But Instead of that, he dug deep to find probably the most hurtful words he could have spoken to me. You're a failure. You failed, and you're gonna fail at everything you do. And it stung, it, it hurt, it shocked. Eventually, it made me angry. But in that moment, all I could think of to say was, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. And walking away from that conversation, I immediately knew that I could allow those words to make me bitter, or I could invite God to use those words to make me better. And I chose the latter. But I had no clue, no clue about the journey that was before me. Uh, this morning, we're wrapping up our series called Accidentally, Sometimes on Purpose, and, and we've been talking about some things in our lives that can kind of sneak up on us. Um, they happen unintentionally, uh, accidentally. Bitterness 
is one of them. Have you ever tasted something that's bitter? Uh, bitter is actually one of the five categories of our sense of taste. There's, there, there's sweet and sour, salty, uh, bitter, and umami or, or uh, a savory. And so our, our tongue is able to perceive these different kinds of tastes, and, and bitter is one of them. It's, it's broccoli is bitter. That explains a lot about broccoli, doesn't it? It does. I mean, did, when I read that, saw that, it's like, that makes sense. The, the rind of an orange, you know, that, that's bitter. And in small amounts, you know, bitterness adds flavor, but, but large amounts of bitterness just, uh, just makes you go, uh, yeah, uh, right? Well, that's bitterness of the mouth. Bitterness of the heart is the fruit of unresolved hurt. Bitterness on the inside is the fruit of unresolved hurt. And nobody sets out in life to become bitter. You know, nobody says, you know, you know by the time I'm, I'm 20 or by the time I'm 40 <laughs> or by the time I'm 60, you know, I hope to be a bitter toxic person who's disappointed in life and, and just sour to be around. I mean, who says that? Nobody says that. But sadly, that's where some of us end up. Accidentally. Because bitterness isn't something we go looking for. Bitterness finds us. Bitterness is the fruit of unresolved hurt that we experience in life. A psychologist, Dr. Leon Seltzer, explains it like this. He says, all bitterness starts out as hurt. Anger and resentment is what we are all likely to experience whenever we conclude that another has seriously abused us. Left to fester, that righteous anger eventually becomes, notice what he says here, the corrosive ulcer that is bitterness. So bitterness is the fruit of unresolved hurt, the, the fruit of unresolved anger that eventually becomes the corrosive ulcer that is bitterness. It will eat you from the inside out and it can become the defining characteristic of your life. One of the most powerful short stories in the Bible is the story of, of Ruth. Uh, it's a short book in the Old Testament. It's the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. Uh, the story starts with Naomi. Uh, because of a severe famine, Naomi and her husband took their two sons and left their hometown of Bethlehem and moved to the, uh, the country of Moab. And they lived there for years, long enough for their sons to grow up and fall in love with some girls and, and marry. But then tragedy strikes. And first Naomi's husband dies, and then both of her sons die. And it leaves Naomi in this strange land alone and destitute. So she decides she's going to return to, to Bethlehem. Uh, if you know the story, you know that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, actually decides to go with her, which was, was amazing. But she returns to Bethlehem, and the community is shocked to see Naomi. She walks into town, and they're like, I, I remember you. You're Naomi. 
But in, in verse 20, she said, don't call me Naomi, she responded. And the name Naomi actually means pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. And Mara actually means bitter. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? You see, Naomi had experienced incredible hurt and pain in her life that had just completely overwhelmed her. Overwhelmed to the point where she was no longer pleasant. She was now bitter. And bitterness had become the defining characteristic of Naomi's life, just like bitterness can become the defining characteristic of of anyone's life. Because friends, that's what bitterness does. If we don't deal with our hurt and don't deal with our resentment, the wrongs that we have suffered will eventually define some essential part of who we are. It takes hold of our very personality. That's what happened to Naomi. And that's what can happen to me or to you. And it could be that, you know, life has taken some unexpected and painful turns. It's ended up in places that you didn't expect, in places that you didn't want. And you've experienced a deep bruising of the soul that has left you reeling and has left you crushed. You know, maybe it was a business failure where where your, your partner betrayed you or there was an economic downturn beyond your control and things crashed or maybe it was a health issue that has just devastated your dreams or taken someone from you that that you love or maybe it's a, a marriage that has gone sideways or died maybe because of a partner's infidelity or or just because of of life stuff that has happened or, or maybe you've had children that have broken your hearts in fact Proverbs says that that's, that's one of the, the roots of bitterness. It says, foolish children bring grief to their father and bitterness to the one who gave them birth. And that wound becomes the defining characteristic of life. Some of the most painful and serious offenses occur actually between followers of Jesus. A brother or sister in Christ hurts you. Maybe it's a a spiritual leader or a pastor, a friend. David said in Psalm 55, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. And now you're the one that's taunting me. Now you, the the, the one that I used to worship with, you're the one who has become my foe and has so arrogantly insulted me. And and, you know, I, I read that and I thought, you know, David wrote that Psalm just for me. He put lyrics to the tune of my own heart. Because the closer the relationship, the more potential there is for serious offense and hurts. 
And the sad reality is, is that some of us have been so burned. We have been so bruised by those who should have been the safest, the most trustworthy, the most faithful. And, and we've experienced that and we've grieved and we've raged or we've tried to bury our pain or maybe we've blamed God or blamed ourselves or blamed others. But the wound in our soul has never really healed and instead it's become a source of infection that le- leaks its toxic poison into other parts of our lives. And if, if left unresolved, that, that toxicity just works its way into us and becomes a defining characteristic of our life, our character, our relationships. Because here's another thing about bitterness. It never just impacts you alone. It becomes something that splashes onto everyone you're close to. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 puts it like this. He says, look after each other so that none of you falls or fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows. And it's interesting that, that the writer here would describe bitterness as, as a plant, you know, as, as a poisonous root of, of bitterness. You know, kind of what's a, what's a poisonous root or a root that doesn't taste very good? You know, like, like parsnips that have been in the ground too long, like really bitter, you, you know, just like, uh, you know, but he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It corrupts many. That's what happens when you allow the poison of bitterness to infect your soul. Not only does it eat you from the inside out, but it poisons everyone that is close to you. And I've seen marriages poisoned by bitterness. I've seen families and friendships poisoned by bitterness. I've seen churches poisoned by bitterness because bitterness just doesn't poison you. It corrupts many It becomes like the the corrosive uh, battery acid that that splashes and and wounds others. But look again at at that verse there in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Because not only does it warn about the poison of bitterness, it also gives the antidote. It gives the cure. Because verse 15 starts with, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. There is an antidote to the poison of bitterness. Friends, there is a cure for bitterness. It's called the grace of God. And if we will apply God's grace to our lives, if we will apply God's grace to our hurt and to our pain, God by his grace will bring healing. He will and can bring restoration and freedom and wholeness. That corrosive ulcer that is there that is eating you from the inside out can be healed by God's grace. So what exactly is grace? You know, grace is one of those super spiritual terms we use, but uh, probably don't really understand. And part of it's because 
grace in scripture is used in so many different ways. It's so multifaceted and, and nuanced. But, but here's what grace I think means in this verse here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Grace is the goodness of God at work in our hearts through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What's grace? Grace is the goodness of God that is at work in our hearts through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us. And, and I know there's a lot of nuance to grace, but, but I think that, that's, a, that's a helpful, not really a definition, but description perhaps of, of what is going on inside of us when, when God comes to indwell us by his spirit. Because a foundational attribute of God's character is his goodness. God is good. And when God comes to live in us, when we give our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit brings to us and activates within us God's goodness. God's goodness uh, we, we sang it this morning, God's goodness is running after me. Well, another way to maybe sing that song is God's goodness is running out of me <laughs> because there, there's a well of goodness that, that, that gets dug in our, our hearts and then filled up by the spirit of God when he comes to live with inside of us. There is this supernatural ed, uh, goodness at work inside of us, friends. That's what grace is. It's God's grace. And through what Jesus has done for us and the Holy Spirit's presence in us, there's, there's the ability because of that grace, that goodness inside of us to come and suck the poison of bitterness right out of our soul. So, so how do we apply God's grace to the poison of bitterness? How, how, do, how, do, we, how do we connect that? How, how, do we, how do we bring God's healing work into the bitterness? Are, are you ready for this? This might be hard for some of you to hear. Because we apply God's grace to the poison of bitterness through forgiveness. If bitterness is the fruit of unresolved hurts, forgiveness is the fruit of God's grace. Forgiveness is the fruit of God's grace. Not only do we receive forgiveness from God because of his grace. We celebrated that this morning when we celebrated communion, but because of God's grace, we are able to forgive others. God's grace just brings with it this, this forgiveness. You go to Ephesians chapter four and it says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander as well of all types of evil behavior. Basically, he's talking about words that describe relationship hurt, right? You're in a relationship with somebody, something goes sideways and all of a sudden there's rage and anger and harsh words and maybe slander and some bitterness. This is relationship stuff, okay? So Paul says, you know, when, when you get into those relationship moments where things go sideways, you got to get rid of this stuff and instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Friends, because God has forgiven us, we 
can forgive one another. And it's not just, oh, God's forgiven us, now I have to forgive. No, 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 no. You need to understand, because God has forgiven us, now we actually have the ability, we have the power, we have the, 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 the capability to, to forgive. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I can forgive because the goodness of God is at work in my life. The Holy Spirit is there empowering me, enabling me to forgive. And now I can't forgive. In fact, I must forgive because living in unforgiveness is actually denying the goodness of God at work in me. Remember how we said bitterness is the fruit of unresolved hurt? Maybe it's better said bitterness is the sinful fruit of unresolved hurt because bitterness is actually, as a follower of Jesus, it's, it's, it's sinful. It's, it's part of this brokenness of our world that infects our lives and infects our relationships. It's less than God's best. It's, it's actually sin. And, and I know I'm poking at some sensitive, painful things here. but we need to recognize and call it for what it is. Look again at what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. He says, get rid of all rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Oh, I missed one. What, what does he start the list with? Get rid of all bitterness. What does he define as a type of evil behavior? Bitterness. You see, bitterness isn't just something that happens to us. It's something that happens to us because we deny the goodness of God and the work of his goodness and the work of his grace in our lives. Bitterness is the sinful fruit of unresolved hurt. Uh, remember Naomi? Oh, she was mad at God, wasn't she? We read about, she said, don't call me Naomi, don't call me Pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Wow. Talk about denying the goodness of God. I mean, just the, the, the corrosiveness of her words, God is not good. I mean, look at my life. Look at what, at, at what has happened to me. And, you know, I, I read that first part of her story and I don't understand. I don't understand why there was a famine. I don't understand why Naomi's husband died, why her sons both died in, in Moab. But one thing I do understand is that that's not the end of Naomi's story even if she couldn't see it at the time. And the rest of Naomi's story is actually the story of just how good God is. You just gotta keep reading the story because Naomi had this daughter-in-law named Ruth that was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. And yet going back to Bethlehem, she stuck with this bitter old woman that nobody else wanted to hang around. And yet she managed to not only stay with her, but keep her own spirit sweet. And so she stayed with Naomi. And then this amazing man named Boaz came into Ruth's life. And their love story is a picture of what Jesus has done for us as our redeemer. 
a picture of what Jesus has done for us as our savior. And Naomi's story ends with her actually becoming the great grandmother of King David. Talk about a turnaround story. Is God good? Yes. Even when we can't see it. So we apply God's grace to the poison of bitterness. We apply the goodness of God at work in us to the poison of bitterness by forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven us. Receiving God's grace for the forgiveness of our sins and then out of the overflow of that, choosing to forgive others. But let's be honest. Forgiveness is something that we don't do well. <laughs> and some of it's because forgiveness is something that, that we don't really understand. It, it, that, that's a word that we get snagged on in, in, in scripture. So, so let me give you some things that uh, forgiveness is not, okay? Just, just to help clarify what, what forgiveness is. Number one, forgiveness is not dismissing an offense. Forgiving it is not just, you know, kind of shrugging it off, pretending it didn't hurt, pretending it doesn't matter. Oh, it was nothing. It was nothing. You know, that, that conversation I, I, I had with that guy, that, oh, that was nothing. You know, he would just, he would just tell you verbal diarrhea, nothing. Now, some things are nothing, like if somebody beats you to that parking spot at, and in the Walmart parking lot, like, you know, really get over it. Like, like that was nothing, okay? Like don't get bitter over that. But if someone has shot an arrow into your heart and you're bleeding all over the place, you just can't go, I'm good, I'm good. No, it's nothing. So forgiveness is not dismissing an offense. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting an offense. You know, forget about it. Just, just forget about it. Pretend it didn't happen. In fact, if forgiving is forgetting, we're in big trouble because some things in life are unforgettable. You can't look in the mirror, some of you, without seeing the impact of something that's happened in your life. And we need to understand that when scripture talks about God forgetting our sin, actually what it's, it's a word picture there. It's not that God can't remember our sin. It's that God chooses not to use it against us. So don't misunderstand what scripture says when it talks about forgetting an offense. So forgiveness is not forgetting an offense. Thirdly, forgiveness is not condoning an offense. Oh, it's okay. You know, they didn't mean it. Oh, they don't need to be held responsible for their actions. No, it's, it's not that you condone it. And finally, forgiveness, and this is a big one that we get snagged on, forgiveness is not reconciliation. You know, I forgive you, so I guess I have to be your friend. Uh, forgiving someone doesn't mean reestablishing a destructive relationship with someone you can't trust. Reconciliation actually takes two, and it involves repentance. It involves change and rebuilding of trust. So... If you're going to reconcile, it takes two parties being involved, but you can still forgive. 
But forgiveness doesn't mean that you will reconcile. It means that now you could reconcile if the other person wants to do their thing and get right. Okay, so, so that, that's what forgiveness is not. But what does forgiveness look like? And, and man, we're gonna wrap this up shortly, but I could preach a, a whole series on this. Firstly, forgiveness is acknowledging your own emotions. That's where it starts. It's not about denying your feelings. It's not about denying your hurt or your anger or your shame. And for some of us, this is really hard. I mean, some of us are just clued out about our emotions, you know, what are you feeling? I don't know. You know, we, we, we really, you know, we need to do some work about getting in touch with, you know, because we don't know. And for some of us, it's just plain hard because we're afraid to go there. You know, we, we don't want to open that box. And, and the other thing about acknowledging your emotions is that often it takes time. You know, just, just like it takes time for a bruise to form and, and for it gets sore, uh, sometimes we really don't know how hurt we are until some time has passed. If you've ever been in a, in a minor accident, uh, you know, with a vehicle and you're feeling okay at the moment, but like three days later, you can hardly move. That's something of what happens with the offenses that we experience in our life. Sometimes it takes time for us to understand how hurt we really are. And, and that was the way it was for me in our first church with, with that, that incident. You know, there was the initial sting, but weeks later, I had to admit, I was really mad. How dare he say that to me? How dare he speak that curse over my life? How dare he put our church in such a difficult situation where they couldn't pay me for six months. So you got to acknowledge your own emotions. And secondly, you need to really identify the offense. I mean, what is really going on? What, what's really the, 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 the bottom line here? And, and it wasn't just that this guy had insulted me. It was that I realized I felt he had betrayed me. And instead of coming alongside and helping me when I needed him most, he stuck a knife in my back. And, and I, I had to, to own that. I had to really identify what was, what was going on inside of me. And Dr. Wanda Malcolm says this. She says, fully realized forgiveness requires those who have been hurt to figure out the core of what they hold against the other person who hurt them. That they identify and find words to describe what was hurtful and exactly what needs to be forgiven. And she gives the example of one woman that came to her for counseling and realized after time that it wasn't just her husband's affair that hurt her so much. It was his impatience for her to grieve the loss of the trust in their relationship. He just wanted her to just kind of get over it. And she found that even more hurtful than the affair itself. So we need to identify the offense and then we need to accept and grieve the loss. Friends, this is a journey. Forgiveness, oh, I, I, get, oh, I get so troubled when, when, when people just go, oh, I forgive. Because, I mean, it's, if somebody steps on your toe in the foyer after church, forgive them and move on. 
You're like, you, you don't need to work through all of this. But if you have been wounded in your heart and in your life, there is a process that you need to walk through. And, and, and part of it is then you need to accept and grieve your loss. You need to come to the point where you accept what has happened and stop fighting against the unfairness of it. And for me, it was accepting that these families had left our church. It was accepting that these guys had walked out of my life. And then I had to just kind of take a deep breath and move on. I had to find new friends and new mentors. And for some of you, it might be coming to the place where you just have to accept that maybe your dad or your mom are never going to be the parent that they should be, that you need them to be. They're just not able. And you've got to grieve that and let it go. For some of you, you know, your, your kids have, have wounded you so much. And there may come a point where you just have to go, you know what? They've made their choices and I just have to let that go. I can't change them as much as I want to. So we accept and grieve our loss. And then and thir- fourthly, you re- relinquish your right to revenge. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, someone did something to my parents, especially my father, that was very hurtful. And I didn't really know all that was going on, but I knew it affected my dad's job and potentially his career. And it was, seemed very unfair and very unjust. So uh, my friend and I dreamed up this scheme. We were going to steal the neighbor's dog, a fairly large dog. We were going to feed it full of X-Lax chocolate bars. And then we were going to lock this dog in this guy's car. (laughs) Oh, it was going to be so good. Revenge. Now that probably falls under the evil behavior that Paul talks about in in Ephesians chapter four, right? So so we got to relinquish our right to revenge. Relinquishing revenge means giving up my right to hurt you back for the hurt that you've caused me. And it's not so much that we just allow and just say no, it's that we actually allow that pain to be hurt and absorbed by God's grace. We allow the hurt and pain to be absorbed by the cross. That's what Jesus did. I can let go. I don't have to get even because of Jesus. And then finally, we can choose to extend grace. You know, this thing that I walked through in our first church, the, the thing that I decided I needed to do I needed to pray for this guy. I needed to pray for his family every day and not pray that God would smite him down or make him see the foolishness of his ways, but um, you know, just pray that God would bless him. Pray that they'd find a good church to serve and pray specifically that, that his kids would grow to love Jesus. 
and serve him. You see, I'd been raised in church and I'd seen some stuff that should have turned me off of church for good. And I knew it was just God's grace that it didn't. And I didn't want what had happened to so many church kids and had almost happened to me to happen to his kids. So I prayed for them. At first it was every day. <laughs> and then it was literally for, for years. And, and eventually I got to the place where I could honestly wish this person well. I could actually have a friendly conversation with him when I saw him around town. And, and that was the reality. It was a small town. I, we would see these people all the time. Anytime there'd be an interchurch function, these people were there, right? So, so you're always bumping into them. And, and I could actually have a conversation with him. And, and you know what? He never apologized for what he did, for what he said. In fact, he probably didn't even remember what he said. And I never brought it up. There was no point. Now, is that really a happy ending? Uh, the relationship was never restored. Uh, the church did eventually get back on its feet. Um, they did make up those six months worth of wages for me, thank the Lord. Uh, and I got through it. God's grace healed my heart. And God's grace can heal yours. The goodness of God at work in you. And friend, I don't know what you've been through or what you're dealing with, but, but all of us have a choice. We can experience the inevitable hurts of life and grow bitter. We can allow that bitterness to define us and poison our relationships and become that corrosive ulcer in our soul. Or we can lean into God's grace. We can lean into the goodness of God that is ours through Jesus and choose to forgive. Lean into the goodness of God that is at work in our hearts through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And because of God's grace, I not only can experience grace, but I can choose to extend grace. And that's not to say that it will be easy uh, it will take time, it will take intention, it will take prayer, it will probably take tears. I would, I would commend our ministry, Breath of Life, to you. If you're wrestling with some stuff, uh, Breath of Life is a prayer ministry that just invites Jesus into those moments and profound healing can take place in our hearts as we experience afresh the goodness of God. Uh, some of us need to go see a counselor. I did. I have. I will. I'm scheduled. I'm booked. I'm going. It's good because they can help us. But most of all, friends, it's embracing the goodness of God that's already at work in our hearts and in our lives. Can we stand? We're gonna close. I gotta close quick. I gotta be shorter than Pastor Dallas last week. <sighs> because I am forgiven, let's go back to that slide, Frank. Because I am forgiven, I have the grace to forgive. Because I've experienced the goodness of God. Because Jesus has come and forgiven me. And now the Holy Spirit is resident in my life. There is a well of goodness that has been dug inside of me. 
and I actually have the grace, the ability, the power by the whole, not my own. I guess I have to do this. But the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if with every eye closed, it's not a moment to be looking around. But if you're in that place this morning where maybe you've walked through some stuff, it might be something big, it might be something little, that's, you know, God knows. I would encourage you right in this moment, would you just lift up your hands? Yeah, hands are all up all over the place. I think every one of us needs, to, needs, needs this. And can, can we just declare this? Because I am forgiven, I have the grace to forgive. Can you say that with me right now? Because I am forgiven, I have the grace to forgive. Let's say it one more time. Because I am forgiven, I have the grace to forgive. Father, I am so thankful that none of us are destined to a life of bitterness and anger. But all of us can experience your healing. And Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here in this room, Lord. Some of us have walked through unimaginable pain. And all of us have been injured and bruised deep in our souls by something. And so Holy Spirit, right now, we just pray that you would come in a fresh way and pour your grace in. Jesus, come with your goodness. Jesus, come with your goodness. We invite the goodness of God to come chasing after us, to come running after us. Goodness of God, fill our hearts. May we profoundly understand what we have experienced in your forgiveness. And may that bottomless well rise up within us, empowering us to forgive those that offend us. Jesus, wrap your arms around us. Move us forward. Lord, for some of us, this is an extremely painful thing to hear. And so Jesus, right now, I just pray your grace, your love would be so evident. Holy Spirit, come. There's no condemnation. This is not talking down on anybody right now. This is, this is hearing your invitation to healing. And so right now, Lord, we receive your healing. And we choose to take that first step by saying, because I am forgiven, I have the grace to forgive. I choose to forgive. I can forgive because of what Jesus has done for me and the power of his spirit inside my life. I can forgive, I can forgive, I can forgive. I know I can forgive, not because that's what I'm saying to myself, but because that's the reality of God's work in me. And for some, it needs to be furthered with some prayer ministry this morning and I would encourage you to connect with Breath of Life, make an appointment with our trained prayer people. They will delight to further God's work in your heart by his spirit. Some of you need to make an appointment to see somebody, a counselor. But Jesus, right now, we just invite your grace. Activate your goodness. 
In your name we pray. Amen. As we close this moment, I think some of you just may need to sit and just absorb, process. Some of you need to go meet with our prayer team. They'd love to pray with you about maybe something that God's stirring in your heart right now. Maybe it's something completely unrelated. doesn't matter. Otherwise, friends, let's go be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. As Christ has forgiven us. God bless you.